This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Noble Knight, where Out of Print is available again. And listeners like you, who support us at patreon.com slash thetomeshow, or by shopping using our affiliate links for DMs Guild and Amazon. Welcome to Gamer to Gamer, now hosted by me, Jeff Greiner. Once a month, I'll interview a member of the gaming community because gamers are awesome and the world needs more awesome. With me in this episode of Gamer to Gamer is Rodney Thompson. Welcome to Gamer to Gamer, sir. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, it's been a long time since you and I have chit-chatted. I know we used to see it, each other at Gen Con every now and then, but... Uh, yeah, used to see each other about once a year at the very least, right? Yeah. And then talk a couple of times a year, but I actually haven't been to Gen Con the last two years. Oh, see, I, I've kept going, but I but I'm, uh, missed yeah. this one for the first time, I think, so... Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and it's this is, this year's an anniversary year, too, so of, of all I know. the Gen Cons to miss, this is the one I'm going to miss, huh? All right. I had actually originally planned on going this year, uh, and... I'm. Uh, I would love to, but I'm about to uh, welcome my first child into the world, and so that puts the kibosh on a whole lot of traveling this year. Yeah, that that tends to to do that. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So so later on in the episode, we're gonna hit Rodney with the lightning round and see if he can beat the current best time. Uh, but before <laughs> we do that, we're gonna we want to take the time to really dig in and get to know who Rodney is a little bit. So so let's start off with that question then. Who is Rodney Thompson? Uh. Well, Rodney Thompson is my dad, but also me. Uh, <laughs> oh, you're yeah. a junior. I, no, I'm the second. Oh, you're There's, a second. It's an important distinction. I, I grew up in the South, and uh, my mom – I was born in, born and raised in Tennessee, and my mom and dad didn't want me be, to be called JR or junior or anything like that. So they specifically chose to, to put make me the second on my birth certificate so that I wouldn't get those nicknames. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Great story, huh? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it is. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I'm a game designer. I've been designing games professionally for about 15 years now, uh, a little bit more than 15 years. I started out as a freelancer. I worked for Wizards of the Coast and Green Ronin and Paizo and uh, West End Games, back when West End Games was still around, and uh, did that for about six years before I got hired by Wizards of the Coast to come out to Seattle and uh, run the Star Wars Saga Edition role-playing game product line. I had helped design the core rulebook with with Chris Perkins and Owen Stevens, and then when they decided to you know, relaunch the product line, they needed a lead designer, so they hired me for that, and I did that for several years, and then when the uh, Star Wars license lapsed at Wizards, they moved me over to D&D, I did some uh, source uh, source book and expansion work for D and D Fourth Edition. I was the lead developer of the Dark Sun campaign setting books for Fourth mm-hmm. uh, Edition D and D. And then when we started working on D and D Fifth Edition, I was part of the core design team. I was there from the very beginning. I, I designed the very first adventure in what would become D and D Fifth Edition. Uh, it was a terrible, terrible, tiny little dungeon that was just meant to prove out that the game. Had legs, right? Is that the yeah. the Caves of Chaos one? Oh no, 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 no! Oh. This was way before. This is something that's never seen the light of day. Oh, it okay. Was, it was literally like I I randomly generated a dungeon map on uh, on the internet and uh, threw together some monster stats. This was this was before there was even like character creation or anything like that. We just had characters, right? There was no mm. there were no classes or anything. This was basically to prove out can a simple lean core rule system carry the weight of the game? Uh, and so yeah, I I was there from the very beginning on that, and then I worked on uh, all three of the core books, but mostly on the player's handbook. Uh, and then, 
I also got to work on some board games when I was at Wizards. I co-designed Lords of Waterdeep and Tyrants of the Underdark and Dungeon Command. I worked on all three of those. And then about a year and a half ago, not quite two years ago, I left Wizards and uh, moved over to Bungie, and I now work on Destiny, the, the video game. Yeah, very good. And, and I, I hear a lot of that, like people moving from the, the tabletop gaming industry into video games. Is that a fairly common track for people's careers? I mean, it does happen. Um, it just depends on if that's the kind of thing that you want to do. I'm really lucky that uh, I got a chance to come work on a game like Destiny that I was already super heavily playing at the time. I mean, you've probably seen if you follow me or Mike on Twitter, Mike Merles on Twitter, we played uh, Destiny fairly often together, and, and uh, I was already interested in the game uh, when I got the op- opportunity to go over to Bungie. And, you know, it's it's not a whole lot different in some ways uh, than what I've been doing for the last 15 years years it's a lot of you know like sort of general high level game design and then also it's radically different in a lot of ways in that i spend all day working in a video game engine and writing code and writing dialogue and stuff Mm. like that so i'm I'm all over the place you have a background in coding uh, I have a minor in computer science from college. I okay. went to the University of Tennessee and minored in CS. Uh, I originally had planned on being a CS major, and uh, this was you know 1998, 99, that time period. And then I realized, wow, I absolutely hate sitting at my desk staring at code all day. But this is this is also <laughs> and now you are. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. Right? But it's, it's way different now because you know this is back when there was there was no Unity, there was no Unreal, there were none of the sort of modern game development tools that exist. And I think that if those tools or even a, a proto form of those had existed back in 1998, I probably would have stuck with it just because, you know, I actually started teaching myself Unity about uh, three years ago and realized, wow, you can really go from just like, I have an idea to I have a thing that I can play super fast. Well, mm. I, I didn't couldn't do that in college, and so I wasn't seeing the real results of of my work and so I was like ah, I don't want to stare at code all day and I'd already started freelancing for wizards at the time so I was like ah, I've got the minor I'll, I'll, I'll switch majors to English uh, and you know shockingly not a lot of my credits carried over on that one but I still got the minor <laughs> Well, yeah, I do have a little bit of coding background. That's yeah, very good. Yeah, it's because because I mean, a lot of times you'll hear about people, and and I guess you're right. It's not a ton of people, but you do hear maybe because there's so many tabletop gaming uh, companies out in Seattle, and that's also sort yeah. of a hub of of uh, of that corner of digital work as well. Yeah. Um, so you do hear about that kind of stuff going on, but it's usually people working on like the story bits and the lore yeah. and that kind of stuff, and, and not as much in the coding. So I was a little surprised to hear you talk about sitting and coding all day. Well, you know, it, the, the thing is, video games are pretty multidisciplinary in general, whereas when you work on a tabletop RPG or a board game, you end up filling a lot of roles. I mean, like when I worked on a, a board game, we always used to joke that part of our job was sitting in a room staring at a whiteboard, part of our job was writing you know, tons and tons of text, part of our job was... Uh, we used to call it kindergarten arts and crafts, where we make the physical prototype. Part of it was playtesting. You kind of do everything on a tabletop game, right? Like everyone's kind of multidisciplinary, and so it's there's a lot of places in the video game industry that someone who has experience in like tabletop RPGs could fit in if they choose to take that path, right? I mean, there's definitely people who are writers. There's people who go on to do like me. I do game design. Uh, there's people who do you know management type type stuff because they've got gotten this 
big, broad experience on tabletop RPGs, and then you can go into a more specialized area on in video games. Although I'm finding at my own job that it's mo- like I'm doing. I'm doing a lot of multi multidisciplinary stuff because that's what I'm accustomed to. So, mm-hmm. like, I write the first pass of all the dialogue and the content that I create, right, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something that not a lot of other designers really do, but I do it because I can and I have that experience. And I, I studied screenwriting in college a little bit, right? So, uh, you know, it just depends. But, yeah, I... I want I, I when I made the jump over to video games I said you know I don't want to go be a writer like that's fine if that's what you like to do but I don't want to go be a writer I want to be a game designer I like creating experiences I like creating things that you play content and systems and stuff like that and that's why I got into games as a whole was to create experiences not to just you know write or world build or things like that I mean that's all part of it but um, the game design side of it is what's really been appealing to me, and so I'm really fortunate that the job that I do have over there is very focused on actual game design and, and creating things that you'll play. And the tools are different in video games than they are in tabletop games. I mean, in tabletop games, is dice and sheets and maps and this and that. In uh, you know uh, video games, it's I'm in the engine and I'm placing enemies and I'm setting up you know AI sequences and you know setting up special effects and stuff like that it's it's different tools but it all kind of boils down to the same basic principles and experiences like i'm thinking about things like pacing and attention span mm-hmm. and intensity and uh, awareness and all these sort of things that you kind of think about in similar terms in a tabletop game it's just the the nature of those elements are slightly different and of course the interface of the game is is drastically different yeah, that's awesome. That's that's really interesting to to talk and, and to see the sort of multidisciplinary uh, work that has to be done. Uh, yeah. Now, now beyond your work at, at Bungie, if we go back, you mentioned that you've worked on a lot of different products over the years. From, I have all of, from Green Ronin through Paizo, and then all the, the the suite of things that you've done at Wizards. Um, you know the the Star Wars D and D, the the award winning board games. You know all kind of, that kind of stuff. Uh, so so excluding your current work because that's what's putting food on the table. Uh, uh, which one is your baby? Which one is your favorite? Oh Lord, I don't know that I can pick a favorite, but the closest <laughs> the closest that it comes to being my baby is probably Lords of Waterdeep, just because that was one that uh, Pete uh, Peter Lee and I kind of uh, we we had the the basic kernel of an idea and we sort of willed into existence uh, working on it as a side project and showing it to people and building excitement and uh, I was also really lucky that I got to work super closely with like our art directors and you know the brand team and everything when I was at Wizards on that particular project so I got to have a lot of input on it while also working with super talented people like Peter or like uh, Kevin, the the art director on that one, did, who did an amazing job, and so like that one definitely is the like okay, this is this is the thing that I helped create and probably wouldn't exist if I didn't have you know didn't have my input on it, mm-hmm. and that was really it was then of course really gratifying when Lords of Waterdeep took off and was super super successful. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, like, you know, oh, D&D 5th Edition or something like that, but, you know, like, 5th Edition D&D was such a team effort, and, I mean, it's, it's huge, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. new edition of Dungeons & Dragons. It's an edition of a game that has a 40-year legacy or 40-plus-year legacy at this point, right? Uh, millions of people around the world are, are looking at the work you're doing. Hundreds of thousands of people playtesting it with you, right? Like, cannot 
understate the value of the or cannot sorry cannot overstate the value of the the open play test right that was such a, a team effort that while i'm super proud of it and i can point to tons of things in that that game and say like yeah that's there because i i did a thing or had a meeting or you know wrote something or whatever right like ever so many contributors made that mm. thing possible that you, you just implied uh, that something productive happened in a meeting that's weird oh no it happened all the time like, <laughs> like Towards the towards the end of uh, working on fifth edition, there was a lot of times where we would do desk work for three or four days, and then we would go have these marathon sessions where me and like Pete and Jeremy Crawford and uh, occasionally a couple other people would be going through like the open playtest feedback and looking at every single item and saying, "Have we addressed this in some way? Have mm-hmm. we addressed this in some way?" And like going through that, and it would be like these hours and hours long meetings, but at the same time we were chewing through huge amounts mm-hmm. of the game and like sitting there with with the files open on the on our computers like oh we haven't addressed this yet let's go ahead and make that tweak and sometimes it was like okay we can make this change because there was a typo or you know we know exactly how to fix this and then sometimes it was like crap this is a huge problem we really need to fix this put you know a thing on the agenda for next week to go and come up with ideas and bring back proposals and stuff like that so although although most people's idea of a meeting isn't doing the thing that they usually do at home in their free time picking apart games and talking about that you know (laughs) so oh and there's there's believe me there's plenty of meetings in the game and design industry that it's just like well this was great i'm really glad we (laughs) spent this time but i mean it's a job right so yeah yeah yeah. And, and you know when you've got a large team like that it's always going to be challenging to keep everybody informed and and aware of what's going on so yeah it's uh it's a whole thing but it, it was it was very i'm very proud of the way dnd fifth edition came out but i can't quite say that like yeah it's my baby like sure like Waterdeep was well and you didn't even mention you got to play in in the other great big legacy of, of geek culture star wars right i mean that that was your yeah, playground for a while so and, you know, I had I had a lot to. I mean, I was the lead designer of the product line for years, right? And I led the design of every source book for the game, and I worked on the core rule book. So I had a huge hand in the way those those came out. But you know, it's still standing on the shoulders of hundreds or thousands of other people, right? Not just you know George Lucas, of course, and all the people that made the movies, or even the people that like Lucasfilm, like Leland Chi or Chris Gallagher that I was dealing with. Those guys were, were super helpful, but like, or, you know, not to mention all the freelancers that I worked with. Mm. But you think about like every novelist that's ever written a novel or, uh, you know, artist or writer that's ever written a comic book or video game designer. Like we, we did a source book for the force unleashed, which is a video game and the hundreds of people that made that possible. Right. Mm-hmm. Like those, that source book, that's force unleashed source book couldn't exist without the hard work of an entire game studio without, you know, the work of freelancers and artists and everything like that. It was a, I mean, anytime you deal with a license like that, you are you are one among many, right? You are sure. one among a a legion of people that are contributing to the creation of that thing. So you know, it it like had a ton of responsibility that ha- I had to you know carry while I was working on it. But at the same time, like you know, it you can't you can't sit there and say like, oh, this is the thing that I created. It's like, no, like I had a hand in this. Sure, but you had a hand in the Star Wars universe. That's still pretty cool. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Like I'm not gonna I'm not trying to undersell it, all right? Like it was pretty great. 
Uh, and I, I love Star Wars and still do. And it was it was a dream come true to be able to work on that because it was actually the Star Wars RPG that got me into role playing games back in the day uh, mm. with West End Games. Like I played D and D probably first, but I didn't really glom onto it as quickly. Uh, and then I got super into the West End Games Star Wars RPG, and so that that was very formative for me. And so getting to work on it was absolutely a dream come true. I got to work with tons of awesome people. I learned a lot. Boy, like the first four or five years I was, you know, at Wizards, I was working on it. And during that time, I was learning a ton, not just about like game design, but, or, you know, yeah, game design, but also like production and art direction and, you know, editorial work and what it's like to work on a big team. And, you know, it was, it was super, super valuable to me. Like, you know, I wouldn't be where I am today without, without that, that game. Absolutely. So you mentioned that that Star Wars and D and D, the West End game Star Wars and D and D were some of your first experiences in mm-hmm. gaming. Uh, so let's go back to uh, a younger Rodney, uh, the wee Rodney, the, the, the wee Rodney, and and let's hear that story. How did you first get into D and D and and gaming in general? What's what's the what's the proto Rodney story? Well. I, so I remember pretty vividly the first time I ever heard of D&D, and I was like, I was probably like seven or eight years old. I was really young, and there was this kid down the street that that went away to like see his cousins one weekend or something. He came back the next week, and he was like, yeah, I played this game, and I was like a halfling adventurer, and like I had this, this sling, and I was shooting sling uh, bullets at people, and then I like took my sling bullets, and I dipped them in lamp oil, and I lit them on fire, and then I was like setting these slimes on fire, and he's telling me this, and I have no concept of an RPG. I'm just like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, is this a video game? I don't, I can't imagine this on the ColecoVision, right? <laughs> Which is the system that he had, right? Uh, and like, blew my mind. I had no concept of what this thing was, right? And then uh, I was like 12, I want to say, in junior high, and a guy was like, hey, you know, a guy I played uh, Magic with, I think, right? It was like, hey, do you want to join our D&D group? I was like, yeah, sure, that, that sounds cool. I don't even know what it is. And we sat down and started playing, and I was like, Oh, this is what that kid was talking about like five <laughs> years ago, and it like uh, immediately clicked into place. And that was actually the first time I ever played D anD D, and it was an Alcadim campaign. Alcadim had like just come mm. out, in, I think ninety one, and uh, so I was I was playing Alcadim. That was my first campaign, and it was a blast. And uh, even to this day, Alcadim remains my my favorite uh, my favorite setting. Actually, I guess that was probably a little later than that because I think Alcadim was like ninety three or ninety four. But so many people love Alcadim. Why is there not an yeah. Alcadim setting book? Come well, <laughs> look, let's just be honest. You know, people get that lots going. Of people, lots of people love Alcadim. I am one of those, but it is not the highest profile setting, mm. right? Like, there's a line. Like, if you're gonna do like if you if, if Wizards just come out and say like we're doing Alcadim next, there'd be a lot of people who'd be like. Uh okay, that doesn't make any sense because I still want <laughs> Dragonlance or Dark Sun or you know whatever. Right? I mean, we don't even have a Forgotten Realms book out yet, so you know. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so you know, like I I love Alcadim, but I fully recognize that it is definitely in the sort of obscura of of D and D. I think it is a brilliantly designed setting. I mean, I already love Arabian Night stuff, but also the fact that it was sort of planned from the very beginning to be like these are the things that are going to be in this setting. This is these are the things these are the books that we're going to make or box sets or whatever from the beginning they kind of had this holistic plan and they never 
really deviated from that. They never produced more than they originally intended to produce. So it wasn't like they were sitting around going like, all right, what are we going to come up with this month? It was like, this is the setting, and mm, we're going to cover it all done. over the place. Yeah. Like, I think that was so great, and it was so ahead of its time in some ways. Um, and, and I just, like, man, I... I keep telling myself, like, all right, my next campaign is going to be an Al-Kadim campaign. Uh, and then it never is, mostly because it's like, well, i got to do a lot of work, you know, on mm-hmm. conversion documents. I've done one-shots. I, I, I went to um, a con in Texas last year, and I was a guest of honor, and I brought with me an Al-Kadim adventure that I'd made. And I did some pre-gens that, like, I just – I didn't even make real subclasses. I just, like, was like, okay, what kind of abilities would this subclass have? Yeah, okay, mm-hmm. that's what you got, right? Uh, and so, so you can end up with a, what, a Shire? and a mystic of Nod yeah. and that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. There was like a Shair. Uh, there was a... Uh, see, what else did I have? Uh, I had a Holy Slayer that would be like, okay, it's, this is obviously like a variant on the Assassin for the Rogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did a bunch of like different backgrounds, like you're a barber, you're a merchant, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did an elemental, uh, an elementalist wizard. You know, like just making, making stuff up. Not even real subclasses, like I say. Uh, and so I've done stuff like that, but I, I keep telling myself, like, yeah, that's going to be my next campaign. I just Then I go and do foolish things like, like no, no, instead of running my next D&D campaign, I'm going to invent an entirely new game. So, <laughs> you know, one of these days I'll get around to it. And I know that, like, my, my current D&D group, they, you know, there's a couple of them that are like, yo, when are you going to start this uh, start this Al-Kadim game? Because we are ready right now. And I'm like, okay, okay, eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I know you're a game designer, but you're probably also fairly busy, I, I would imagine. Well, what with, you know... Uh, other projects and and full time yeah. work and a kid coming up and all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I don't like to rest. <laughs> yeah, right. So so I imagine you could you could probably find some decent conversions, you know, on DMs Guild or whatever without having to uh, yeah. uh, spend I've, a lot I've of your own time designing. I've seen some. Um, I haven't de- uh, dug too deeply into them just yet, mm-hmm. but I, I've definitely seen some out there. I know people are doing it. And I think that's awesome and. Uh, you know, I, I will eventually get around to that. But then there's also a part of me that knows that I will never be satisfied until I do my own version, right? <laughs> like that's just I, that's just sort of how I am. I'm sure. very DIY when it comes to my D and D stuff. So uh, I know that like what'll happen is I'd be like, oh, I could just go get this stuff off of DMs Guild, and then I'll be like, I could do that, or I'll just but, make but it I would have done this different, and that would be a little you know a little tweaked, and yeah. And it's not like those things are are bad or anything. Right. It's just that you know I'm I'm the obsessive tinkerer. Absolutely. So you talked to us a little bit about your game and how you someday want to get a uh, uh game going. <laughs> so so let's talk about what your game currently is. What what's your current campaign? Who's your group and and what are you playing? Sure. Okay. So I've got one group and our uh, so I, I have two game groups that both meet on Tuesdays and we play like every other week, right? And I had to do that because I basically had more people than I could fit into a single gaming group that I wanted to play games with. And then I have a third group that meets about like every third Thursday. And so one of those groups is uh, some like some friends of mine that we've been playing games for probably five six years now. It's um, uh, Logan Bonner and Chris Tulak and uh, Derek Guter from Gen Con and Eric Scott DeBe and uh, my buddy Dan Helmick. Uh, Dan and, and uh, Logan, of course, used to work at Wizards with me and uh, Tulak still works there. And so that group, what we do is we play sort of like one-shots of a different system and we switch systems about every 
two to three sessions. So we play a lot of different RPGs, and we mm-hmm. rotate through the, the DMC, right? So we just got done, like earlier this year, we played the new, uh, or, or late last year, we played the new second edition of Seventh Sea, and we've played, mm-hmm. you know, Leverage and Legend of the Five Rings, and we played the old... Uh, Marvel TSR, uh, Marvel superheroes game, the mm-hmm. the face rip system, right? And we just rotate through all these games. We play tons of like indie games, and we're actually getting ready. We just finished up a game, and now we're switching over to uh, Worldwide Wrestling, which is a wrestling RPG. Uh, it's a Powered by the Apocalypse game. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's that group. We we rotate through a lot of different games. Uh, then my other Tuesday group is uh, also Dan and Chris Tulock and also Trevor Kidd and uh, Caitlin Murray and uh, Jess Pester. They're friends of mine who I've known from, you know, Caitlin used to work with me at Wizards. Uh, and that group has turned into my playtest group. Those those kids are subjected to me playtesting my game and forcing them to help me iterate on it by coming up with like you know like okay we played this this adventure how did it go okay now we're gonna play this adventure again hooray so that those those guys have been playing my new game uh, Dust City Outlaws for about about eight nine months now so they're probably getting pretty sick of uh non-stop play testing available on kickstarter now right it is on kickstarter yeah. now yes uh and then also my thursday group is some folks i know that uh are in the industry that i never get to see often enough uh like mike selinker and uh mike failauer from over at penny arcade and what we do is we play D, but mostly what we do is we get together and uh eat dinner and drink and then eventually stumble down to the uh, game room in Mike's house and play like an hour's worth of D and D. I've I've subjected subjected them to Dusk City Outlaws playtesting as well. Um, so yeah, like I, I don't have a regular ongoing D and D game right now because we got to a really uh, like a g- really good stopping point in my Greyhawk game that I ran for a long time. I we played Greyhawk up to about tenth level uh, in fifth edition D and D and. Uh, that one actually was throughout the entire duration of the 5th edition playtest process and then for about a year afterward. And we got to a good stopping point and people were like, yeah, I want to make new characters. And I was like, okay, let's take a break. We'll play another game and then we'll come back to D&D with new characters. And then we just haven't gotten back to D&D just yet. Um, mm-hmm. But I believe that now with the the game uh, with Dust City Outlaws being finalized and uh, really locking in and being up on Kickstarter, I think that group is probably going to switch back to regular D&D because there were a lot of uh, mysteries that I kind of left hanging in the campaign. <laughs> I was like, well, I guess we'll have to see what happens in the next campaign. And uh, so I keep getting questions like, hey, uh, when are you going to tell us what happened to that wizard that we found in that tower? I'm like, well, I guess we'll just have to start a new D&D campaign soon. So I'd say that's where that one's heading. So other than the, the game with the rotating uh, DMs, you mostly DM then? I mostly run... Uh, for the most part, I, I find that... If I'm just a player, I have a hard time engaging, and I know what it is. It's because I I was sort of forced into the DM seat, like all through high school and college, a lot of times because you know you always always looking for the person that's willing to put in the time, and I'm the person willing to put in the time, and I kind of train myself over time to be like, okay, I I've got to be constantly aware of everything that's going on and keeping the pacing up and making sure that everyone's paying attention and excited and engaged and like. 
DMing for me is like it's like being on stage in a lot of ways in that I've got so many things to be worrying about like my cues and my lines and everything like that that like I'm just so deeply engaged that when I become a player and I sit down I only have to worry about myself the lack of responsibility it kind of makes me feel like oh I feel like I should be doing more here like what <laughs> What am I doing wrong? So I tend to DM more than I play in general. Um, and also, like, you know, I I can't resist the uh, the world-building side of it, the idea that, like, I, I'm going to create this whole, like, adventure path that you're going to play through. Like, that that really strongly appeals to my my sense of fun when I play games. Mm-hmm. So that, that puts me in the DM, DM seat more often than not. Yeah, no, that that I, I tend to be the same way, and and uh, every now and then when I let somebody else take the DM seat, it 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 starts out great, and and I find other ways. Like the last time I was was a long term player, I I journaled and I doodled a oh, lot yeah. just, just to keep myself busy because I'm used to managing so many different things at once. Um, yeah, and and even that, you know, after three or four months of that, I'm like, okay, I'm ready. To, I'm ready to start being on the other side of the screen now. Can we finish this up? Let's go. You know? <laughs> so. Yeah, I just I, I have like it's so much easier for me to be deeply engaged when I'm DMing that that's where I tend to fall. Although mm-hmm. I really like uh, the fact that my rotating game where we play lots of different games that I'm a player a lot on that one because they're such short experiences that I'm really deeply engaged in like, I, I can't turn off my game designer brain. I'm always like evaluating like, Oh, is like, how does this work? And mm-hmm. is this succeeding? And you know, stuff like that. So those keep me engaged because we're constantly trying out new systems. Oh yeah, and it's always good to be to get that experience as a player, or, you know, for whatever yeah. whatever you're doing, right? It's always good to know, even to to hone your DMing skills. It's good to have the player experience. Uh, I find my I, I run not only my my group of friends, but I have a, an after school gaming club. I'm a teacher. Yeah. So I've got my after school gaming club that meets on Friday afternoons. You know, kids who want to stay after school for a couple of hours on a Friday. You know, it's a it's a hardcore group of gamers, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. but then right. every now and then, like a question comes up on on oh, how does the warlock work in this way or this situation? Or whatever. It's like I think it's this, but I don't know because I always DM. I don't really know the class mechanics very well anymore. You know, because right. I just right. never play with them. So, yeah, it's just nice to be to sort of bone up on those things. Uh, so yeah, you absolutely. mentioned in one of your in two of your groups, one of the things that you're doing is is subjecting your players to playtesting your game yeah. that we mentioned is on Kickstarter, uh, Dust City Outlaws. That's right. Uh, so so tell us a little bit about that game. Yeah, so this game is uh, it's the first game that I've ever sort of created on my own. It's my first solo design in 15 years of uh, of doing game design. It's the first time I've created both the setting and the the game, and also the first time I've ever tried to make a game myself without the backing of a giant company. <laughs> uh, but uh, Dust City Outlaws is a tabletop RPG where the players take on the role of a band of thieves who are given a job like, you know, steal this diamond or rob this bank or, you know, hijack this gondola or whatever. And they're thieves in this massive fantasy city. Think like uh, Renaissance Venice, but on the scale of modern day New York City. And they all come from these eight different cartels that rule over the criminal underworld of the city. And they're these big, colorful factions, like sort of like clans and Legend of the Fire 
of ring they really rings they they really define you know the world and the characters and the players have to come up with a plan and then execute that plan it's a complete sandbox game where there is no right answer there is no like yeah and here's what you have to do to succeed it's like no you come up with a plan and then the person who is running the game they just have like here are all the obstacles and things you have to overcome in order to succeed but you can do that in any way that you want to so you can go in you know crossbows a blazing or you can go in and try and con your way in it's completely up to you and the sort of unique thing about it that I think is pretty exciting is that I've tried to design it to be what I call an off-the-shelf game. It's the kind of game that you can play with no prep time, no advanced prep, if you guys already know all the rules. So, like, if you've played before and you know the general rules, you just pull it off the shelf and say, like, okay, I'm going to run it, you guys play, and while the players are making their characters, which is super fast and streamlined, the judge just sort of really quickly reads through uh, the short scenario, and then, boom, you're ready to go. And I wanted to create a game like this because there's a lot of times where it's game night but we don't have a quorum like oh like two people are out and we don't want to continue our campaign because we don't want them to miss out or like oh someone who's really important in the game they're gone for this session so we can't do it and I those those nights tended to either turn into like well I guess we'll just cancel or they would turn into like okay let's play this board game instead mm-hmm. and so I want to create this game so that it's the kind of game that could hit your table at a moment's notice so that in those situations where either your normal game is canceled or it's an impromptu game night like oh we're all hanging out what do you guys want to do we could actually play an RPG instead of a board game and there's mm. there's you know basically leaning on that idea that like this is a fast uh, to get to the table game and then also a game that gives players a lot of sort of freedom and lets them put them in charge right um, it comes in a box set it is a uh, it's in a, I call it a board game form factor. So it's got like big square rule books, like in a board game. It comes with player mats that actually go on the table in front of you. It kind of leans on those components to make it hit the table more quickly. Uh, and I'm pretty excited about it. It's uh, It's been a, a heck of a lot of fun to develop the game and work on it over the last uh, year plus, I guess. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's up on Kickstarter now. But my, yeah, my, my, my group has been playtesting that pretty much nonstop for the last eight or nine months mm. and so you you said it's it's a great sort of fill-in game for you know a couple people can't can't make it whatever so so how many players do you need to run this game i think you need need three people you need one person to run it and two people to play crooks it's best with like three or four but it could support up to a total of five right okay. so uh yeah it's it's a it's one that you need a couple of people on the the criminal side so they can work together because the game has a lot of rules in it that are intended to draw players together and get them to to do a lot of teamwork in order to overcome their obstacles. I, I felt like, you know, in a game that's sort of a, a criminals coming up with their own plan type game, it was really easy for people to kind of drift off. Like, okay, I'm the grifter, so I'm going to go off over here on my own and, and start working on, you know, impersonating this guy or whatever. And so I was having these scenes where, like, one person goes off on their own and the rest of the table is just sitting there like, well, I guess we'll just wait on you guys to get done and then we'll keep going. So I, I really put a lot into the game that encourages teamwork so that, yeah, maybe the grifter goes off and starts to con this guy, but as he's doing that, 
you know, members of a rival cartel show up and, and start trying to kidnap the noble or whatever so that, you know, now, okay, the brawler needs to come in and help take out these guys that are trying to kidnap the noble so that they can continue the con and stuff like that. So it's uh, it's really meant to be played with, with people working together to over, mm-hmm. overcome their obstacles. Yeah, it's kind of uh, Ocean's Eleven or Leverage yeah. meets D&D sort of thing. Yeah, very much so. In fact, um, John Rogers, the guy that created Leverage, uh-huh. is doing uh, some scenario design for me on the game. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty exciting, and uh, it plays out kind of like a, you know, it's like a caper game. It's pretty lighthearted. Uh, it's not like gritty crime drama. I'm aiming at something a little more bright and colorful and welcoming, and uh, all the cartels are sort of unique and have their own methods and motifs and inspirations. And I think that it's one of those games that's kind of fun and, and uh, pretty rules light uh, in general, but mm-hmm. it hits the game table quickly, and you can kind of have this swashbuckly caper-style game going pretty fast. And now, it, I've also... no, oh, sorry. Go I was going to say, and if you want the just the PDFs, it's only 20 bucks to, on the Kickstarter to... That is true. To pick up the PDFs, although it's, the the whole box thing sounds cool yeah. too. So, you know. Yeah, it, it it does use a special dice uh, system that I came up with. It's sort of like a I called a streamlined narrative dice system, and those dice uh, it uses percentile dice for you know pass fail, but it also uses these custom dice that have special symbols on them for sort of upside and downside on the roll. Mm-hmm. So that like yeah, you roll percentile dice to see if you su- succeed at your task, but these other dice can give you kind of like positive and negative twists on those mm. results. Uh, that that system actually carries a lot of the weight of the game, uh, like taking the prep work out, because that way you have all the dramatic twists and turns that kind of evolve naturally out of the die rolling. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And I do have a set of campaign rules that are, uh, depending on when this comes out, uh, they'll be previewed soon, let's put it that way. Okay. And that's meant to be like, okay, the game's going to ship with a bunch of scenarios. If you want to play this as your regular game instead of as like you know the impromptu game, you can totally do that. And it's got rules for some character persistence and progression. Uh, it leans pretty heavily on the idea of recurring characters and recurring storylines. I sort of treat it like a TV show where like yeah, there's individual episodes, but then there's through lines that come through uh, multiple episodes, and so that's how the the campaign play works. And how many scenarios come with the the game? As it, as it currently stands? Uh, it's going to ship with 10 in the box, okay. and there will be additional ones available for download online. Okay. very. Because if you're going to pull it out every now and then for a filler game, the, you know, yeah. how many times can I get use out of it before I have to start replaying the same scenarios? So. Yeah, yeah. And, so like, and the other thing, too, is scenario design in the game is actually super, super easy. There's uh-huh. no game mechanical element to scenario design. It's all about, like, okay... What is the what's the goal? Like you know, okay, we're gonna steal this diamond or rob this bank. What are the obstacles to that goal? You know, oh, there's these guards or a head of security or this or that. And then what are the weaknesses in those obstacles? What are the things that the criminals can exploit? Right, mm-hmm. and that's it. Like that's all it takes to design a scenario. Uh, and I think it's really pretty exciting that you know you can sort of sit there and just sort of brainstorm story ideas, and then that becomes the scenario that you can run for your group. Um, there's no encounter balancing or mechanics involved. Yeah, it sounds like it's more of a story game, and so it's not a matter of, like, rolling to hit another creature's, you know, dodge or score or whatever sort of thing. 
Kinda, yeah. I mean, as far as scenario design goes, it's definitely very story focused. Yeah. Uh, a lot of a lot of the game mechanical stuff, like the uh, like combat and stuff like that, mm-hmm. that's all handled in the in the moment, like at the table. So, mm-hmm. like you don't really have to worry as much about planning out like balanced encounters and stuff like that in advance. There's a whole system for introducing challenges that is uh, built into the game that that you do at the time that you introduce that scene. Hmm. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds cool. Thanks. I, people should absolutely check that out. Yes, uh, please. Uh, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, if people are interested in checking out the Kickstarter, it's uh, available. You can get to it by going to tinyurl.com slash duskcityoutlaws. That's all one word. Uh, or you can go to duskcityoutlaws.com. And that's D-U-S-K. Yes, D-U-S-K-C-I-T-Y. Very good. And it uh, goes until, what, the end of February-ish? End of February, yep. Very That's good. Right. So we will definitely try to have this out ASAP uh, so people can hear this and, and go check it out. Thanks, man. Uh, in, in other things, going back to sort of our general conversation about gaming, we took a little diversion there to talk about your, your awesome <laughs> new game. Uh, right. Generally speaking, as, as I wrap up my sort of deep dive dig into who is Rodney Thompson, um, if, if you could give one bit of advice to the gaming community at large, what advice would you give them? Woof. Gaming community at large. So you mm-hmm. mean players and DMs alike? Huh? Sure, or or one or the other, whichever one you want to stick to. Oh. All right. Well, I mean, like I have my standard advice because I get the question a lot. Like, what's your number one piece of advice for for dungeon masters, right? Okay. And I get that I get that question a lot just because I think that there's a lot of people who are excited about taking the leap to being a DM, but don't exactly know how to do that. And the piece of advice I always give to people who are DMs is. Don't hold anything back. Don't save anything for later. If you've got a cool idea that you're excited about, get it into the next session. Don't pin it in for three adventures from mm-hmm. now. Like I used to do this all the time. I would sit and plan out my entire campaign and be like, all right, at 14th level, they're going to go to the lair of the Goblin Queen, right? And I would end up coming with these great ideas that would never happen. They would right. never hit the table because we'd play for like six levels or whatever and it would fizzle out. Or inevitably what would happen is I'd come up with a really cool idea and would not have filled in all the gaps. And then by the time the players got to the point where I had a gap, I was like struggling to find an idea. I was like, oh, what's it going to be? I don't know, right? right. So my, my advice is if you've got a cool idea, get it on the table next session. Put it out there. Put it in front of your players. Find a way to make that happen because you will always have more ideas. And that's you probably pretty always... good advice for players, too, as long as they're not going to derail the game. You know? yeah. so. But you're always going to have more ideas. Don't ever worry about using up all your good ideas. It's just a matter of, like, you never know when there's not going to be a next session, right? You might Now might be the last session of this game. Mm-hmm. So I always tell people, like, yeah, get it on the table as fast as possible. <clears throat> and then I would say... The general piece of advice that I have to give to the the entire gaming community is go play lots of games. Mm. Don't just play... If you like D&D, that's great. But at least try out other games. Go to a convention and play a bunch of games other than D&D or Pathfinder or, you know, Shadowrun or whatever it is that you always play, right? I'm not picking on D&D. Like, I'm just saying, like, if you, if you are a gamer, go play lots of games because, A, you might get surprised by what you like, but, B... 
all these other games often have something that you can steal for the game that you love mm-hmm. or steal for the campaign that you're running, right? And might inspire you to come up with your own, you know, new adventure or whatever. Or might inspire you to design your own game. Like, that happens all the time. Or I, even just take elements from the game that you played yeah. and stick it back in your core game, you know, or whatever. Yeah, absolutely, right? I just highly encourage people to get out there and give things a shot and, and play as many games as possible. Even play games that you don't think that you're going to like. Because chances are you'll learn something from that experience right just play once play one session you don't have to you know say like well i'm gonna sit down and play this campaign of something that i'm not gonna like right but no, but, just, but, but give it an honest shot yeah no, just because you don't think you're gonna like it doesn't mean yep. like go into it with a bad attitude right yep go, go in with an open mind because uh i think there's so many games out there now we're, we're really like super super in an awesome time for for RPGs and board games and tabletop games in general in that it's easier than ever for creators to get their vision out there. And I just highly encourage people to go out there and try things because, like, I've got that rotating game where we're playing lots and lots of new games, and it's been awesome because my knowledge of RPGs has increased significantly since we started doing that about five, six years ago. And plus, like, there are lots of games that I missed the first time around that I'm just now getting to play. Like, Mm -hmm. I said we played the Marvel superheroes game from Mm -hmm. TSR, like, I didn't play that when I was a kid. I, I never got a chance to play that one. And so now playing it, you know, in my adulthood has been, it's been nice because I had felt like it had blown right past me before. But now it's like, okay, I'm actually getting to try this thing. So there might be older games out there that people are excited to play that they've never played before. And, you know, if you can find a, a way to make that happen, even if it's only a few times a year, I think that it will enrich your gaming experience. Hmm. And and if you're gonna gonna check out older games, and we're gonna go to them in a second here, don't forget our sponsor, Noble Knight, who's really good at finding out of print stuff. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one one last question, since the, uh, before we get into the the ad okay. and, the, and the deep di- and the and the I'm sorry, the lightning round. Um, since sort of my goal here is to highlight the awesomeness of gamers, because the world needs more awesome. Uh, what in what way do you think the world could be a better place through gaming? How can we make the world awesome through games? You know, I, I think the biggest thing that games have done, and we were kind of talking about this before we started recording, is games give you a touchstone around which you can build social relationships. They, they're, they're an icebreaker all their own, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of times when I've made lifelong friends through gaming that I wouldn't have otherwise talked to you know, or met or whatever before I played that game. And it's so important that you look at games as like a a core element of positive social experiences and positive social bonding. I mean, like games truly do bring us together. And the key to making that true and to sort of fulfilling that promise is making sure that you are being a welcoming gamer, right? That you are inviting other people to your table, that you are actively reaching out to people who maybe are game curious but haven't actually gotten a chance to play or, you know, whether that's people you know that are board gamers that want to play RPGs or people who have never played a game and want to come play, you know, a board game or an RPG. You know, once you are an experienced gamer, someone who has benefited from the social bonding that comes with playing games, it's so important that you then become an ambassador for gaming. And and being an ambassador means not just 
reaching out to people and drawing them into your game, but helping them understand like what's great about these games and what's a good positive experience and really sort of like I, I use that term ambassador intentionally. It's sort of about diplomacy, right? Because games have so much to offer to us as far as making us more connected to each other and humanizing each other and building connections to to each other that you know, it's sort of up to us, those of us who have benefited from it, to be that olive branch out there and make sure that, like, hey, games have enriched our lives. They've made us better people. They've built stronger bonds. I want to pass that on to you. Mm-hmm. And I do that by inviting you to the game and making sure you have a good experience and making sure that you feel comfortable and welcome and stuff like that. So I would just encourage people to think of yourselves not just as, oh, I'm a gamer who might introduce a game to my friends, but I'm I'm an ambassador, and my job is to connect people to this great experience that I've had that's made my life better. Awesome. Yeah, so so everybody get out there and evangelize for games a little bit, huh? A little bit, yeah. Very good. All right, so we're going to go ahead and, and uh, finish our deep dive into Rodney Thompson here uh, and take a break to mention our sponsor, Noble Knight, who I actually just mentioned a second ago. They are both a physical game store and have an online store best known for buying and selling out of pen, out of print products. Uh, and then so my episode or my pick for this episode is an out of print product that's that's actually kind of hard to get and it runs a little bit pricey when you can find it uh, is the Star Wars Saga edition uh, designed in part by our guest uh, Rodney Thompson. So why don't you tell us a little bit about it before those last few copies that Noble Knight has uh, fly <laughs> off the shelves. Yeah, so Saga Edition was it was the third edition of um, the Star Wars role-playing game from Wizards of the Coast. Uh, it was designed uh, with a pretty broad swath of the the uh, Star Wars Expanded Universe in mind. It was post-prequel uh, trilogy, so had the benefit of all those things as well. Uh, it took the D20 system and evolved it, and it, it cribbed from like D20 modern a little bit. Like mm-hmm. uh, All the characters have classes, but then they choose from talent trees within those, and they have uh, and they have feats and stuff like that. And the force system was kind of a proto early version of the power system from uh, D&D 4th edition, mm-hmm. so it was really sort of like a an experiment in like what what can we take out of games over the last couple of years or games that are in development and apply to you know the Star Wars universe uh, I loved working on it it was super great and uh, there's a lot of really great source material out there for it as well very good and it's not it, it, it's like seriously doesn't look super easy to find anymore uh, and and noble Knight looks like they got a few copies uh, they're not nice. cheap they're not cheap but they got a few so go pick them up yeah. It's me, Snark. I don't really like Noble Knights that much, but NobleKnight.com is okay by me. You know why? They got tons of products for me where I can just be hiding in dungeons and stuff like that. Also, it's it's really, really cool. I get to find all these bestiaries that I can fill my dungeon with and all kinds of goblin miniatures. So check out Noble Knight. They'll even buy old gaming products that you aren't using anymore, and they're awesome. NobleKnight.com. Make sure you tell them the Tome Show sent you. All right, so uh, now we're back, and we're going to talk to Rodney in the lightning round. So here's the deal. You're going to answer 20 questions as quickly as you can while while both providing uh, satisfying answers, 
but beating the time of the current record holder. Okay. Uh, so the, my first time hosting Gamer to Gamer, uh, the, the guest was Matt Sarnett, and he has the current record. Uh, and that record is seven minutes and five seconds. Okay. Okay. So that's that's your your goal. I've got a timer here that I'll start, and then I'll start reading the the twenty questions, and you'll try to give us satisfactory answers quickly. Ready? All right. Sounds good. I'm ready. All right. Go. Uh, number one. Do you prefer to DM or play? Absolutely prefer to DM. Two. What was your first RPG? We've already covered some of these. I know. Uh, the D and D was the first RPG I played. West End Game Star Wars was the first RPG I ran a campaign of. Okay. What edition of D and D? Uh, second edition D and D. All right. Three. Name the person who introduced you to RPGs. Uh, it was uh, my friend Kyle down the street, and then my first DM, Adam Bell. Very good. Four. Create the title of a book that's on a Mad Wizard's shelf. Um. Uh. Crap. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. What to do with all those leftover body parts. There you go. Five. Uh, name a game or adventure you haven't played but want to. Oh, that's easy. Uh, Continuum, a role-playing game about time travel. I bought a copy on Amazon a few years ago. Have not managed to get it on the table yet. Okay. Number six, the last game product you bought. Um, 7th C 2nd Edition Kickstarter. Okay. Uh, seven, make up the name of an NPC. Um... Fizzlebit. Fizzlebit. A gnome sorcerer. Okay, very good. Uh, What's his alignment? Uh, I'm going to go with lawful neutral. Lawful neutral, okay. Uh, Eight, uh, name of a PC that you've played. Oh, uh, let's see here. Crap, I'm blanking. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Solm, a Fioran smuggler and Antarian ranger from the D20 Star Wars campaign. Okay, nine. Favorite house rule? Um, in D&D, uh, in general, I like to make death more meaningful. So what I do is I say that uh, raise dead and resurrection spells can only be cast by the clergy of the god of death and only if uh, basically they manage to convince the clergy that it is worth bringing that person back. Okay, good. I like that. Ten. How long are your game sessions? Uh, typically three to four hours. All right. Eleven, name a fantasy tavern. Uh, a real one or make up a new one? Whichever one you want to do. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go uh, with the – crap, I'm blanking here. Uh, I'm going to go with um, – oh, the Lucky Ostrich, uh, which was one of the ones that was created for my Dust City Outlaws game. Oh, there you go. Twelve, a source of inspiration that has influenced your game. Um, the the original like the the tales of the Arabian Nights the thousand one nights uh, okay yeah uh huh thirteen best race class combo um best race class combo I'm gonna go with human paladin I like the good guys okay uh fourteen best alignment might go along with that uh, I'm gonna go with um lawful neutral. And I say that because I believe that I am lawful neutral. I would say I'm lawful good, but that's exactly what someone who's lawful neutral would say. <laughs> I like that. Okay. Uh, 15. Experience points are automatic lever- leveling up. Uh, automatic leveling. All right. 16. Best way to determine stats. Uh, 
46 drop the lowest. I think Matt said the same thing. That, that's yeah. what I'd do too. But All yeah. right, 17, uh, make up an elven curse. Um, hmm. You're doing really well on time. Boy, uh, elven curse is in like a swear word? Sure. <laughs> Whatever that means to you. Do you even know a- what these questions are, man? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I'm just- uh, okay, I'm going to go with... Uh, hmm. Dwarf spit. Dwarf spit. All right. Good. Uh, 18. Your favorite game book? Uh, the Land of Fate box set from second edition holds a, holds a near and dear place in my heart. Mm, Lands of Fate. Is that the, the Alcadim? Yes, it box is. Set? Yeah. Cool. Um, 19. Should there be devices at the table? That is tricky. I'm going to say okay for the DM as long as the DM isn't using social media. Uh, okay for the players to use apps specifically designed to aid with the game. Not okay if they're using social media or browsing the web. All right. Uh, and 20, tell us a story from your game table. Okay. So uh, in my la- well, in my first Dust City Outlaws playtest group, uh, there was a scene where the players had gotten back to their safe house and were about to do some planning, and they discovered that a member of the secret police was there. These are the spiders. They used to be criminals, and they, they betrayed the criminals and turned crown, and now they are the secret police of the city. And the the secret police, the spider, basically said, like, hey, if you work for me instead of your current job, I will you know absolve you of your crimes. And they basically said, well, we don't have any choice, and said, okay. And then the uh, the gunslinger in the group basically looks at everybody else and is like, hey, listen, guys, I need to need to tell this spider something, so you need to leave the room. So everybody left the room except for the gunslinger, who then immediately drew his flintlocks and shot at the, the spider, <laughs> causing her to leap out of her chair and then leap out of the second-story window out into the street. Everyone comes rushing back into the room like, what are you doing? This person could ruin us, right? And they see that she has fallen out of the window and has injured herself in the fall so the alchemist in the group is like we can't let her get away now we've got to take her out and the alchemist hurls alchemist fire out the window rolls terribly not only misses <laughs> but also rolls a bunch of drawbacks and the alchemist fire sails over the uh over the the spider down in the street smashes into uh, the street like halfway down out into the alley where it flares up and then draws the attention of a patrol of the city watch as they're walking by and so now they have to leap down out of the upper floor window take out that spider who is trying desperately to crawl away while city watch are rushing into the alleyway from uh, outside because they've been drawn by the flames of the, the failed throw of alchemist fire uh, and it turns into basically like they jump down they take out the uh, the spider, and then immediately scatter out into the city, going all their different separate ways, so that the uh, the city watch can't give chase. Ooh, look at that! Six minutes and fifty two seconds. Oops. You beat you beat Matt by what is that? About thirteen seconds. Right. Not Take bad. that, Matt Cernet. There you go. There you go. Very good. All right. Well, thanks for being on the show. Uh, where can people go if they want to find Rodney Thompson out there on the internet? 
Uh, best place to catch me uh, is probably on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Antarian Ranger. It's a Star Wars expanded universe reference because I'm a big old nerd. Uh, and you, you want to spell Antarian for people? Sure. That's A N as in Nathan T A R I A N as in Nathan Ranger R A N G E R. Very good. Uh, yeah. and, and also, they can find your uh, your Kickstarter on yeah. uh, kickstarter.com. Yep. Or you can go to duskcityoutlaws.com. That takes you to the website that I've set up for the game. It has go. links to the Kickstarter, and there's also a contact form on that page in case you want to email me. Yeah, and there's uh, there's some the, – the Kickstarter video does a nice job of sort of highlighting what it's about, and you've got an actual play on there as well. So people, yep, if people sure are do. not sure, they can really dig into it and see what what's going on there. Yep, there's both an actual play video and also a separate actual play audio podcast. Very good. Cool. All right. Uh, I also want to thank our sponsor, Noble Knight, and our patrons from patreon.com slash Show, who get a first peek into sort of the things that we're working on. And when I need feedback from, from listeners, that's where I go, and they help guide where the show goes. Uh, and, of course, everyone who heads over to thetomeshow.com and clicks on the links to Amazon or the DMs Guild. When you do that, you get the exact same experience, but we get a few coppers out of it. Uh, if you'd like to give me a suggestion on who we should hear from in future episodes of Gamer to Gamer, shoot me Gamer to Gamer, shoot me an email at thetomeshow at gmail.com or call the biz line at 919 biztome 919 B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. This has been Gamer to Gamer with Rodney Thompson, because sometimes you have to get out from behind the DM screen and meet people. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it. It's yeah. been too long. It has. It has.